Hello and welcome to the Greenfield Baptist Sermons Podcast. Each week we will be uploading the Focus Scripture and Sermon from Greenfield Baptist Church in Northeast Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us and enjoy. We're going to kind of bookend the, uh, the chapter 40. Starting in, uh, we're going to go through verse 1 through 5 and then jump 25 through 31. Isaiah 40. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The voice of the one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up. And I shouldn't lose my place, right? (laughs) Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, the rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all mankind together will see it, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Verse 25. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift your eyes and look to the heavens who created all of these. He who brings out of the starry hosts one by one and calls them by name. Because of the great power and mighty and st- mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded by my God? Do you not know, have you not heard? The, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. May God add his blessing to the reading this morning. As we- Glad to be here today to worship with you in the Lord's house. And I'm thankful for all those who've made possible that we can come and worship here. All those people in the past who've uh, provided this place for us to worship, and all those uh, very wise people from the past who provide us a country where we can uh, gather together and worship today. Did you ever notice how you really appreciate the comfort that comes, the relief that comes, after you've been sick for a long time? I mean... I was uh, sick with cancer and had treatments for a couple of years. I mean, they thought they had it, and then they said they didn't have it, and then I had to do it again. And, man, I know what it was like there for that time. You know, uh, I was so used to being in distress that I didn't know what comfort felt like for a while. But then when it finally came, and like I am now, man, it's just wonderful to wake up in the morning, and, you know, I can get out of bed and walk around, and, and I don't have any needles stuck to me or anything else. So, you know, you really appreciate the comfort that comes to you after you've been through a distressful time in your life. You can also think of times maybe when you've been in 
debt, maybe, for example. You've had a big mortgage and a big car payment, and then your kids are going to college, and you're trying to pay all those bills at the same time, and you're wondering, where is all the money going to come from? And then you get all that in the past, and you wonder, what happened, you know? Now I can actually take my wife to Dairy Queen and not worry about where the money's going to come from, you know? <laughs> what a comfort that is to, to be able to have, you know, release uh, from that kind of debt. Well, Isaiah gives us some comforting words in Isaiah chapter 40 that came to him and to a country that was caught in a very uncomfortable time. They were in uncertain times, not only because of the international problems around them, the countries that threatened them, but they also were in uncertain and uncomfortable times because of the sinfulness and the rebellion of the people who made up the country itself. And so Isaiah offers these words of comfort to his nation, but I think he also offers these words of comfort to you and I today in a difficult time. And the most important words of comfort come right at the very beginning. In chapter 40 and verses 1 and 2, Isaiah says, Comfort my people, says your God. Comfort, speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her, her hard service has been completed and her sin has been paid for. Her sin has been paid for. Now, Isaiah was a great prophet. He not only told about things that were happening in the world he lived in, but he was also prophesying about the future. And we read later in Isaiah chapter 53, he tells us about the Messiah who's going to come and who's going to set things straight in a world that was very troubled in his time. And so Isaiah, in this time, he's uh, preceding those words of the coming Messiah uh, with these words of comfort that no matter how tough things get, remember your sin has been forgiven. And that's really the most uncomfortable uncomfortable thought of all is, is that we can be plagued by our sin and our sin can drag us down and our sin can defeat us at every turn in our life. And so he says, your sin has been paid for. And we know because we're on the other side of the cross, we're on this side of the happening of Jesus. And we know that Jesus paid for our sin on that cross by his broken body. Our sins were paid for. I've sinned often. I'm sure all of you could fall into that same category. You can think of any number of times when you've mistakenly done what you shouldn't have done or forgot to do what you should have done, and it was just downright sin. But Jesus tells us that that sin is forgiven here through Isaiah chapter 40. First John tells us how that sin can be forgiven in an individual's life. He says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So there's no sin that we cannot confess and find comfort and forgiveness. In verses 3 and 4, Isaiah says, A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill be made low, the rough ground shall become level, and the rugged places a plain. There are deserts in our life, aren't there? There are times of dryness when we just don't know where to turn or what to do. In those desert times, uh, Isaiah tells us God will bring a time of refreshing to us in the midst of the desert times of life. And then there are mountains in our life that seem insurmountable, mountains of prob problems of one kind or another, mountains of suffering or pain, um, mountains of questioning and uncertainty. And those mountains can become a level uh, plain. 
He says, uh, the mountains will be made low and the valleys will be raised up. Kind of reminds you of driving down the interstate highway. You know, you can drive through the mountains of Colorado or you can drive through the mountains anywhere and they've literally raised the valleys and they've literally lowered the mountains. Now, they haven't completely eliminated them, but uh, we know that we can find a smooth way through the mountains if we follow the interstate highways. And uh, when we go through the desert on an interstate highway, it is straight, straight as this aisle in the church. You can see forever straight because they want to get you through that desert as fast as possible. And so that's the way God offers comfort to us, bringing the mountains of our problems low and bringing the dry times of our life uh, some refreshment. That comforting thought... Uh, helps us through the times when we're traveling over those mountains and we're having those rough spots in our life. I can remember as a kid, I went to two one-room schoolhouses. I wasn't born in a log cabin like Abraham Lincoln, but I did go to a one-room schoolhouse, <laughs> two of them. And you know, the funny thing was, the kids could go to school at any time they wanted to. You just showed up whenever you decided to get there. Well, like most kids, you know, there was all kinds of rough stuff going on. People fighting and rolling around the ground and, you know, all kinds of stuff, stealing each other's lunches and yelling and screaming and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, the comforting thing was that a teacher was going to soon show up. And then what was going to happen? <laughs> Things were going to get calm in a hurry. And so, you know, it's a comforting thought that even in the midst of all the difficulties of our life, the Lord's going to show up one of these days. He may show up literally in the clouds and take us to be with him, or the Lord may show up in the form of someone or something that will bring comfort into our life so that we can get through those difficult times that we have. Christians know that Jesus is there to help us, and that comforting hope of a future with Jesus' presence uh, gets us through the tough times. In verses 6 to 8, Isaiah tells us, um, All men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fail because of the breath of the Lord blows them on them. The grass withers and the flowers fail, but the word of our God stands forever. We know that we're temporary beings at best here on earth. No one has lasted more than 100 or 120 years, perhaps. Uh, but we know that even though we are temporary beings, the Lord is with us. He brings us comfort to know that uh, uh, the word of our God will stand forever. His word is forever, and he tells us in his word uh, that he will be with us not only in this life, but on into eternal life that he grants to all those who believe in Jesus. All those who've confessed their sins and come to Jesus, he grants to them a life beyond this physical life. Comfort comes to us. Now or comfort comes to us later. I remember the story, you probably read the book, maybe some of you, about Corey Temboon and his, her sister and how they lived in a concentration camp uh, during the Second World War. They were put there because they'd helped the Jewish people, some families, escape uh, Germany so that they would get out from under the Nazi uh, regime. So their family was thrown into the prison camp. And uh, they remembered the scripture there. They remembered the promises of relief uh, from pain, relief from prison, uh, re relief from whatever troubles they might have. But that relief came in two different ways. For Corey, that relief came when the Allied armies came and, and set that prison camp free. 
But for her sister, relief came when she died from illness right there in that camp. So we don't know which way God will bring relief to us. Uh, we can believe the promises of God that his relief will come, but we don't always know. You see, there's two sides to God's comfort. In verses 9 through 11, it gives us those two sides. Specifically, in verse 10, it says, See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and his arm rules for him. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. That's the power of God. Then verse 11, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms, and he carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. There's the gentleness of God's comfort coming to us. A friend of mine, uh, uh, Jerry Bowman, was a helicopter pilot in Vietnam. And uh, he brought comfort to the troops when he showed up in one of two ways. Either he brought a whole group of helicopter gunships and uh, defeated the enemy, chased them away, or he brought a whole fleet of uh, helicopters and they landed to take away those people who were wounded or help them to escape a situation uh, that was desperate. So he brought comfort because he brought the power of the military. God's power is much greater than any military we have, certainly. And so God's power will establish and put things right. Sometimes in this world we see how God's power puts things right. But we know for sure in the new heaven and the new earth, God will set things right uh, as he uh, exercises his power. There's a different kind of power that comes, though, through the presence of God. kind of reminds me of, again, whenever I was a little kid, I was in kindergarten, and uh, in those days, when you, when you rode the bus, everybody rode the same bus. No matter whether you were in kindergarten or 12th grade, you all rode these big, uh, flat-nosed-looking buses that held about 60 kids. And they'd let the littlest kids get on first, and then you'd get on by grades until the oldest kids got on. So I would get on uh, as a kindergartner and wander in there, and then all these other mountainous kids would get on there, and pretty soon there was all kinds of rowdiness and shouting going on in the bus. The bus driver just ignored it all. Usually he stepped out of the bus and smoked a cigarette while, <laughs> while the kids were getting on the bus. But, but anyhow, you know, it was kind of terrorizing when you first got on that big bus and all those kids kept coming on. But you know, the thing that brought me comfort was that I knew pretty soon my brother Jim, who was in the 10th grade, he'd get on. And then my brother Bill, and he was in the 12th grade, and he would get on. And you know where they'd come and sit? They'd sit right beside their little brother. <laughs> wow, you talk about the comfort of presence. Boy, there was real comfort then. <laughs> and that's the way, you know, if, if I had comfort from the presence of those two older brothers in the midst of all that chaos, certainly we can have comfort in the presence of God. Just knowing that God is present with us brings a whole degree of comfort. So God's comfort can either be through power or God's comfort can simply be in the presence of his spirit in our life. Verses 12 to 14 give us some, some questions for us to answer. They're kind of, uh, I guess you would say, rhetorical questions. We know the answers even before God asked them, but he says in these verses, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, or the breath of his, uh, or with the breath of his hands marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket, or weighed the mountains on scales and the hills in the balance? Who has understood the mind of the Lord, or instructed him as his counselor? 
Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him, and who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? And of course, the, question, the answer to all those questions is, God didn't need anybody to tell him anything, did he? God already knows. God knows the future before it happens. Uh, in the Psalms, it says that God knows every day of our life before there's even one of them. And so that brings us comfort to know uh, that God knows the future. It's kind of like looking at, a, at an old picture. You see some old pictures, and, and you realize things will change after that. But for the people in the picture, it doesn't look so good. For example, I have a couple of pictures under the glass covering on my desk at home. One of those pictures is a picture of two toddlers in their uh, rather shabby-looking clothes uh, in a coal sled. And a coal sled is uh, just a wagon without wheels, and they used it in the wintertime to uh, take coal to the various homes and places around uh, the area where we lived. And beside that coal sled with those two little toddlers in it is this tall, skinny guy with a big hat on. And you can see in the background, it's taken from the back of the sled looking forward, you can see the couple of horses standing there. And um, you think to yourself, what a dismal-looking picture that is. I mean, rather hopeless. I mean, goodness gracious, these guys were, uh, you know, anything but rich dudes. It might look dismal, but because I'm on the other side of that picture, I know that th those two little toddlers, one was my dad, this was about 1913, and one was my Uncle Russ, and those two fellows grew up, and they had fine middle-class homes and wonderful jobs and big families, and they come to know the Lord and all that stuff. And, the, of course, the tall fellow standing there was my grandfather, and I knew that the same thing happened with him. The Lord provided a wonderful life for him. So we're looking back. We, we know the future, even though the picture itself doesn't look so great. And that's the way it is with God. God, he's taking a picture. We just see what we're seeing right now. <laughs> but God sees what's going to happen into the future, and he knows he's going to deliver on his promises for comfort. He's going to deliver on his promise for life abundant and certainly life eternal for all those who trust in him. But verses 15 to 20 tell us that unfortunately, a lot of people don't take advantage of that. A lot of people don't really trust God uh, as we should uh, for that kind of comfort and that kind of provision. Most of us, we tend to trust what we can see and what we can feel. That's human nature, isn't it? We want to we wanna trust what we know is in our bank account. We want to trust what we know is in our political system, that we're going to vote and have a chance to change things. We want to trust what you know, we have up here. You know, I can figure it out. If there's a problem, I, I can figure it out myself. Or we want to trust uh, in, in our international problems. You know, we've got a strong military and the president will take care of things and send them over there and take care of that problem or defend us or whatever it is that it takes. Those are the kinds of things that are the things that we want to trust in. But God calls us to be a different person, a different kind of people. Christian people are counter-cultural, I guess. That's the word I'm looking for. Uh, they, they think of things in a different way than the people around them and the culture. And so we don't depend. Uh, it's good to have good economy. It's good to have a strong military. It's good to be able to think problems through and solve them. But we know that finally, in the end, what's going to count is, is that God is going to take care of us. Uh, 
We, we don't make the kind of idols that it describes here. Here's, here's the idols they had in those days. Uh, he says, um, As for an idol, a craftsman casts it. A goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashions silver chains for it. A man too poor to present such an offering selects wood that will not rot. He looks for a skilled craftsman to set up an idol that will not topple. They were like us in those days of Isaiah. They had troubles and worries and problems. And so they would turn to idols because uh, the Jewish faith said that you shouldn't make idols. They didn't have anything to turn to. And yet all the nations around them had these idols. And they thought, well, you know, at least they have something to turn to when they're feeling down and out and, and troubled. And so the Jewish people would uh, forsake their teaching and they'd create idols out of wood or stone or, or silver or gold or whatever it is. And it's so sad when we are like that today. We don't create the kind of idols that's talked about here, uh, but we have our own kind of idols, don't we? Things that we trust in rather than entrusting God for comfort. And it's so sad to see people around us, sometimes even Christian people that should know better, trusting in things other than uh, trusting in God for comfort. Verses 21 to 27 remind us of how slow we are to learn and how easily it is for us to forget. He again uses some of those questions. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? God sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them all out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and they wither. And a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look at the heaven. Who created all these things? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name. And so on. He talks about how we're, we're so, so drawn up in uh, how great we are sometimes and forget that God is greater. <laughs> uh, that God, he, he's, he's there above the earth. Uh, and of course, uh, Isaiah, like we today, he has to use symbols of what he knows. We can't really describe God today, can we? We don't have the language to describe God. But uh, Isaiah and those of us today have to use symbol and images. So he uses the image of God sitting above the circle of the earth and people like grasshoppers in comparison. Uh, we just know that God's greater than we are. His goodness is greater than we can understand. And his comfort is offered to all of us. And his power is available to take care of us now and on into eternity as we trust in him. So there's no one that we can compare to God, no one who's created all these starry hosts and, and so on and so forth. Our, God's way might be hidden from us, as verse 27 some, sometimes says, but we can trust that God has uh, the best in mind for us. We know about Jesus' love and forgiveness. We've heard the stories. Many of us have heard the stories of Jesus since the time we were babies. We understand in our head 
what the stories are telling us, that God is great and God is good, but somehow, you know, like the saying says, it hasn't gone the 14 inches from our head to our heart or however far it might be. We need to transmit what we have in our head to our heart, and it's so easy for us to forget that God is good and that God is great. <clears throat> I have a John Deere tractor, <laughs> and uh, when I go out and do stuff, you know, I, I know how to do it. I've read the operating manuals, and, uh, you know, I know that these things that go like this and like this, what they call those joysticks, they, they uh, turn the backhoe whichever way I want it to go and lift it up and down and all those things. And I know the three-point hitch goes up and down, and I know this switch over here turns this. And, you know, I know all that stuff. But the problem is, in the midst of doing whatever I'm doing, I'll do the wrong thing. And I mess things up, and, and just recently it cost me $75, didn't it? Because I'm looking at my, uh, my friend Jeremy. He, he, he came to my rescue and ordered me some parts after I drove all over the field about 44 times and didn't realize that one of the three-point hitches was laying on the ground, you know. So parts of it fell off, you know. So, you know, I can know all this stuff in my head. I've read the manuals. I've talked to the experts like Jerry. Jeremy, and I, and I, you know, I've, I've practiced it and practiced it, but still I screw it up. I mess up. And so we don't want to feel bad. You know, we're, we're, we're doing, if, if we're really working at it, if we're really trusting the Lord, if we're really reading his word and trying to apply it to our life, sometimes we're just going to mess up. In the hectic schedule of our life, in the midst of all the things that are going on, just like when I'm uh, going around and doing my uh, work on the tractor. There's so many things to think about and so many things to do that sometimes we mess up. But God's right there for us. Jesus wants to forgive us. He wants to welcome us back and say, yeah, I know you forgot. Come on. Uh, we'll pick it up from here. I forgive you. Let's go on. There, there might be some recent events in your life that you can identify with in that sense. You've forgotten that God was there to comfort you. You've forgotten that God was there to give you his strength. And you can learn. <clears throat> you can learn by reading uh, his operating manual. You can relearn by talking to the experts, uh, fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord that might be a little ahead of you in the Christian walk. You can learn by practicing what you've read and what you've heard from the experts. The scriptures are, of course, the operating manual, and I think the Holy Spirit is the expert who knows what to do and how to live the life. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit has been with millions of Christians through the centuries, helping them to live their Christian life one day at a time, and he can help you and bring you comfort. And uh, there are lots of other Christians around you who want to be a part of your life and encourage you. And so finally, here at the end, Isaiah goes back to the refrain. He says, Do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even the youths grow tired and weary. Young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. God is our wonderful creator. He's our comforting sustainer. God is the one who will never wear out 
or never be unavailable. And the older I get, the more I appreciate that. Young or old, we can appreciate verse 29. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Sometimes I'm tempted to think that I'm better now than I ever used to be. <laughs> or how about this one? Or I'm tempted to think that I was better then than I ever really was. <laughs> that, that happens to me quite a bit. You know, those memories kind of uh, get a little fuzzy over the years. <laughs> so, but we know that even if that's the case, we know that God has strength. And God's strength is available for us. And his power and his love, his gentleness even as a shepherd that brings into his arms those little lambs and cares for them, so God wants to bring you into his arms and care for you through whatever trouble and problem you, you might have. Verse 31 is really a spiritual um, commentary on our spiritual life. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their spiritual strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary they will walk and not faint. This comforter is not only available for this life right now and giving us abundant life, but this comforter is available for an eternal life in a new heaven and a new earth uh, where all the pain and discomfort will be a thing of the past and we'll be able to celebrate in his presence his love and whatever else he has for us to do in that time. Comfort and hope is what Isaiah has offered to us here this morning in these passages. The power of our Lord God that he offers to us. He offers to us the saving grace of Jesus Christ our Lord. He offers to us the indwelling uh, presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. All we need to do is to invite him to be a part of our life. And perhaps there's some people here who haven't yet done that. We're trying to comfort ourselves. We're trying to build our own idols of comfort. That doesn't work too well. Believe me, I've tried it. It doesn't work. So what we need to do is turn to the Lord and find our comfort. Turn to him and find our salvation. Turn to him and know the forgiveness of our sins is real and that he wants to provide that forgiveness and that abundant life and that eternal life. Shall we pray? Lord, we know today that uh, you have brought us comfort many times in the past. You have sustained us. You have guided us and directed us through your Spirit. Not because of the works of righteousness in our life. Nothing that we have done has allowed us to deserve your presence in our life, for we are sinners. But we know through your grace, your love, your mercy, your kindness, your gentleness, you have offered to us forgiveness and life abundant and eternal. Today, Lord, we pray that there would, might be one here that needs to make the decision to accept you, to accept the comfort and love of Jesus Christ as Lord, and that this might be the day that they would come and to receive that through a prayer offered in your name, asking for forgiveness of their sin and for the power of your spirit to live within them. May that happen today for them. And Lord, for those of us who are Christians, it's so easy for us to forget your comfort and love. Impress upon us, Lord, each and every day your presence with us and the great, wonderful grace that brought it to us in Jesus. For it is in his name we pray, amen.